is the first time that I've used this here. I've used this before speaking at other places, so we'll see how it works. Um, <clears throat> I'm starting to feel a little dizzy, and if I pass out, it's only because of this. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, you know, I think I want to stop and, and just take a minute and uh, just... You know, I haven't been here as long as some of you, but I've been here long enough. And I want to stop a moment and just thank God for Pastor Dave. Um, It could have gone a whole other direction with the powerful leadership of Pastor Gordon and the powerful words that were spoken from him. And I am just so thankful that Every time I hear Pastor Dave speak and when I see him doing what God is calling him to do, I can see how God is using him in a mighty way to continue to further his kingdom. And I feel that we are very blessed as a congregation to have him here leading us and guiding us, not on his charisma, not on his looks, not on his abilities. Definitely not. I wouldn't say definitely not. Did you say definitely not in your looks? Is that what you said? Um, (laughs) And, and the reason why I say that is because there are a lot of congregations that are ten times larger than ours. They're led by the charisma, by the look, by the sound, by the way that that person carries themselves. And Dave, you, you are more than just charisma. You are more than just an empty shell of a person spouting off words every Sunday. I see the legitimacy of Christ in your life. And I want to thank the Lord for you and for the power that is displayed in you when you not only are up here, but when you're ministering to us. So thank you so much for living out the calling on your life in Christ. So I just want, and I don't know why I I hadn't planned that in my notes, but I, I think it's important that we stop and do that. And I think one of the reasons why I do that now as I reflect on it is because when you begin to talk about a subject like persecution, you, you automatically think, well, you know, Okay, this is going to be a sad. This is going to be a, this is going to be a thing where, you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of people who died and a bunch of people who were hurt. And I actually I've I watched four or five different videos from Voice of the Martyr, uh, International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Church. I watched those videos and I seriously thought about, hey, you know what? Why don't I just pop one of those videos in there, let them watch for five minutes, and see all the persecution that's going on around the world? But then I began to to tell myself, you know what, I'll give you the websites, and I'll let you see the videos, and I'll let you see the young, the young woman who was almost burned alive because of her faith, and I'll, and I'll show you the video of the, of the man who his face was blurred out for fear of, of vindication against what he said, who said, I was run out of my village, and, and my family's been persecuted because of Christian. I will tell you of, of those things, because you can go and see them. But today, I want to look at this in a way that says there's not a person in here who hasn't been persecuted for their faith. If you haven't been persecuted for your faith, you're not a Christian. And I hate to be so bold, but that's what Scripture says. Jesus says in his word, you, I was persecuted, you will be persecuted. Now to the level of persecution you've had, very few of us have ever been threatened with death because we're Christians. Very few of us have ever, ever been uh, threatened with losing our homes, losing our families, losing our livelihoods. But we have experienced persecution, each one of, each one of us. And I think the thing that I want to drive home here at the very beginning 
is we are not alone in our persecution. We are not alone in our, in our triumphs, in our victories, and we are not alone in our, in our sufferings, in our persecution. And I think that's a very powerful thing to remember, that we as Christians need to lift each other up. And I think that's why I wanted to, God prompted me to do that this morning. We need to lift each other up. We need to encourage each other. When we see someone who's down, we need to come alongside. Christian to Christian, we don't persecute. Did you know that? If you are persecuting another Christian, either you or that person is not a Christian. We rebuke each other. We admonish each other. We correct each other. But we do not persecute each other. And that, that concept, as I was looking through this, kind of I had to wrap my mind around that too because it appears to me that I see a lot of Christians hating each other. Well, is that of Christ? Christ didn't die so that we could tear into someone else who believes in him too. Christ died and he showed us the full extent of his love in the cross. And, and, and I'm going to get to that later. In fact, all that I've said right now wasn't even in my, wasn't even in my notes. I have, my mind has been spinning because I've been wanting to do and accomplish so much today. And I think what you're hearing now is what God wanted, and that's a good thing. So I can begin and I can talk about the, the history of persecution. And that in the Roman Empire, and Pastor Dave um, gave me a little tidbit of information as well, at various times throughout the Roman Empire, the Roman rule of the world, essentially, about five centuries or so as, as a whole, and then even part of it even later on, we see, obviously, several instances where there is persecution. And the persecution I'm talking about right now is threat of death or death. In other words, the ultimate sacrifice, the martyrdom of someone. We hear of um, an individual by the name of Bishop, uh, Bishop Polycarp. And I, I, I believe David spoke of this before, and I think I've heard of it him before, and, and I've studied him before. And essentially what this man did is he said, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to call Caesar God. And ultimately, he was put on a, in a, a mock trial, but it really wasn't. And then he was essentially going to be burned at the stake. He was going to be executed in front of everyone. And they said, all you have to do is just simply say, Caesar is Lord. That's all you have to do. You don't have to, you don't even have to live it out when you leave here. All you have to say is Caesar is Lord. All you have to do is recant. Go against what you have been talking about. But, and, and I love these words, and I love, the, I love the fearlessness that are in these words. He says these words to the people who have gotten him in, in this position. He says, Eighty-six years have I served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I now, how can I now go against the one, the king who has saved me? Beautiful. Wonderful. How about during, uh, during Roman rule, there was, there was a, a period of time where basically it went from Roman emperors really didn't want to be worshipped as God to Roman emperors thought, hey, if I am worshipped as God, I'm bringing all of these people from all these different diversity, diverse cultures and ethnic backgrounds, and I'm bringing them together and I'm saying, just worship me. And so what it had come down to is you, there was a period of time where it was you had to give a pinch of incense 
on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. And if you did that, you actually got a little certificate that told everybody you had done that. And then after that, the other 364 hour days and 23 um, and 59 minutes in the year, I mean, the entire time, you could do whatever you wanted as long as it didn't cause a public disruption. But that one time a year, you had to give that pinch of incense, just a little bit, just to say Caesar is Lord. And we know, we know what happened during that time. We know that there, were, there was Christian after Christian who said, not for one minute, not for one second will I give up my faith and belief. Not, will, not for one second will I say a man is Lord when I know the creator, of the, universe, the creator of the universe is Lord and Lord of my life, and I worship Him and Him alone. As we continue on through history, we can see, uh, uh, Dave gave me this little information, I think I said that earlier. In, in today's, today in history, in AD 303, so it would be 1,710 years ago, uh, a, a man by the, um, an emperor by the name of Diocletian, I looked it up, Dave, Diocletian was the first to say not just like regional or not just like a country or not just like a part of the, the empire, but the, through the entire Roman Empire, there will be persecution of Christians. Today, on today, 1,710 years ago, this is what this guy said. We are going to persecute Christians. It's not going to be like, hey, we don't like them. It's not going to be, hey, let's take some of their stuff and just steal from them. It was, we're going to destroy them. We're going to destroy all their literature. We're going to destroy all their leaders. And we're going to bring harm and misery and pain to every single person who says they're a Christian. So, yay! (laughs) Happy anniversary. Um, And I'll talk about that later. Because that's what Scripture says we need to do. Um... So here we go, and, and then it's interesting to note that that happened for eight years, and it actually happened under his rule for only five years, and in the last three years, what he had created as an empire fell apart, and he died, they say suicide or whatever, but he died in 311 AD, and then that, that time of persecution was over, but for those eight years, that was, that was a part of, of a Christian's life. Now you'd say, well, what does it really matter? You know, that you're talking about 1,710 years ago. Who really cares? Well, because I think we have to learn. We have to learn from what has happened and what has been. And we have to understand it. We have to read about people like Bishop Polycarp. And we have to read, obviously, and, and as we go forward, we have to read about um, the persecution that the apostles went through. We have to read about the persecution of Stephen. We have to, we have to read about what Jesus did and how he lived. Because we're Christians, and that's what we do. Well, Paul, this is kind of a downer. Can you, can you liven it up a little bit? I will. It's coming. Just wait, just wait. All right? Because that's what Scripture says. It's coming. So let's get into it. The definition of persecution by uh, Ronald, um, not McDonald, <laughs> Ronald McMillan. I had to give him credit because I don't know the man, but I looked it up and it seemed like a good definition, so... Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification with Christ. This can include hostile feelings, attitudes, words, and actions. And I want to stop for a minute because I I want to kind of bring this forward to us, and you'd say, well, 
I, I don't remember being persecuted, Paul. Well, have you ever had someone give you a, a wrong attitude or, or hated you or not liked what you've done or not wanted to be around you because they knew you were a Christian? Well, yeah, I have. Have you ever possibly even not been hired because you were a Christian? Well, how did you present yourself? Well, I didn't go up to him and say, I'm a Christian. Well, but did you refuse to not gossip when they were gossiping? Well, yeah, I, I kind of refused to, to not gossip. So you, didn't, you weren't included in their club of, of doing whatever they wanted to, of gossiping, of lying, of cheating, of stealing? No, I didn't really want to do that because that's not what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Well, I, I need you to see that that's persecution. When you do what Christ has called you to do, and the world will not, and the world does not like it, you will face persecution. Again, I think for many of us, we think persecution is something uh, of, of this pastor in Iran right now who was is, who is, who is, uh, born in Iran, moved to America uh, with his parents, came back and began to speak of Christ's love and actually began house churches in Iran. Well, now he is in prison and will be in prison for eight years, supposedly, in one of the worst prisons in in Iran. And he is being persecuted right now. He is being tortured right now. He's being tormented right now. We'd say, well, but Paul, that's what I think of persecution. Certainly, I, I I don't understand that. But do you see what I'm saying? Now, what are we supposed to do if all of us have been influenced or affected by persecution? What are we to do with this? Well, we can look through history and we can say, well, what individuals have been persecuted and what have they said? One individual that I want to speak to you about today, his name, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was an individual with a powerful life testimony. At the age of 39, he was executed in Flossenburg concentration camp in Germany under the rule of Hitler. 23 days later, that concentration camp was freed. It was under the direction of Heinrich Himmler that he be executed before all of this happened. Now, who was Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Well, we know who he was. He was a pastor. He was a theologian. He was a person who saw the evils in the wicked of Nazism in the regime, and he said, I will stand up against it. I will speak against it. I will pray against it. I will write against it. I will read against it. I will talk to anybody who needs to know what's going on, and I will tell them this is wrong. So I have to stop, and I have to learn about him, because, wow, that's powerful. He gave his life. 39 years old. Executed in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. So what did he say? Well, in his, his view, in his understanding of what this passage of Scripture says, and let me read it to you, Matthew chapter 10. You can put that on the board now. Wow, I've really gone along without reading Scripture. Matthew chapter 10, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When he read that, and when he was living in this position 
of humility, in this position of being tormented, of being imprisoned, of having all of his freedom taken away. He saw it as this, and I'm going to read it to you, because I think it's so powerful. Joyful are those who suffer because of restorative justice, for theirs is the reign of God. Joyful are you when they criticize and persecute and slander you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in God. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, this is what he saw. He saw injustice. He saw the sin of the world, and he saw the sin and the evil that was occurring in his country. And he said, there is injustice. And what did Christ do? He came to restore justice. See, when sin occurred, injustice occurred. When sin occurred, all of the things that were good got flipped upside down. And man began to think, began to think for him, began to think that sin was good. And when we begin to think that way and believe that way as a culture, as a society, we begin to, we begin to think wrongly. And we begin to step away from anything that actually looks good and is good in the name of Christ. And we begin to see injustice. And those who cannot speak for themselves are put down and hurt. So in, this, in his concept and in the understanding of restorative justice, it is this. We as Christians, we will suffer for the cause of Christ. But when we do suffer in bringing about justice, we have to remember that that is what Christ did. That is exactly what Christ did. Christ came because of the injustice in the world. Christ came because of the sin in the world. Christ came because He knew what we needed and He gave us exactly what He had for us. So I've, I've, said, a, I've said a little bit about it, but l- let me read you a little bit more. Bonhoeffer did not seek to suffer. He sought to follow and live out the example of Christ. And when he did live out that example of Christ, he suffered. And here's the difference. There are other peoples in other religions right now who are suffering. They call themselves martyrs. They may go blow themselves up. They may may train themselves to, to bring harm and hurt to someone else. They are not seeking justice. They're seeking suffering. And Scripture doesn't tell us to seek suffering. Scripture tells us to seek Christ. And when we seek Christ, and when this world that does not understand Christ, nor nor do they recognize who He is, nor do they follow what He says to do, that will go directly in contrast with what we are doing as Christians. And then the suffering will begin. Now, this is the confusing thing to me as a human being because... I think of joy as an event like the birth of my children. I think of joy as an event of, of marrying my wife. I think of joy as something that I can look back on and say, man, that was a really good time, and I'm very thankful to God. And I can even thank God for those times, because they're pretty amazing people. 
But what mystifies me and what baffles me is what, what is said not only in this scripture in Matthew 5, but also in Luke 6, 22 through 23. It's even more. Let me read it to you. Luke 6, 22, 22 through 23 says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. It says, it says these words, Rejoice in that day. I did it, you read it. Leap for joy. Now, I've never been a cheerleader. By the way, just as an aside, I believe that cheerleaders are athletes, and I think they're, they have a wonderful place in society, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm, I was going to lead you in the joy cheer, but I decided that I wasn't, that I'm not going to. But you know what? Here's the thing. Give me a J. Okay. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. Wow, really? So you mean as a Christian, I can not only enjoy the beauty of seeing my children born, of marrying a beautiful woman who loves me and I love her, but as a Christian, I can also find joy in the midst of this suffering? How? How? It's, it's, it's confusing. It's not confusing to me, but to the world it makes no sense. Yes? Why? Because the world does not know Christ. They don't understand the message of the cross. So I want to say this for a second. If you as a Christian feel that it's your God-given duty to nitpick on every single person you meet in the world and tell them what they're doing wrong and, and, and how horrible they are and how they need to change and how they need to change their lifestyle, you're not going to be persecuted. You're just going to be flat-out lambasted because you deserve it. Christ hasn't called us to go tear into other people's lives so that we can be persecuted. Christ hasn't told us to step into someone someone else and to say, you know what? I think you're a sinner. And I think you need Jesus. You need to get down right now and pray. How do you think that's going to work out with the world? When they don't understand Christ, remember that. They don't know who Christ is. They don't understand it. But you are Christ and if you get into someone's life, and if you tear them down, if you belittle them, if you berate them, and if you show them their sickness and their disease and their weakness, and you give them no answer by only telling them that they're wrong, you are not showing Christ. And whatever you get from that is not persecution. It's you getting what you deserve. Now there's the other side to it. Obviously, Dietrich Bonhoeffer decided to do something about the evil that he saw. And I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about getting, talking to someone and loving someone and being around someone and encouraging them and seeing them down and saying, can I pray with you? Well, okay, that may be a little, no, it might be a little abrasive. No, it's not. Because I believe most people, even though we say the world doesn't understand Christ, I believe most people have an understanding of who God is. They may have a bad understanding. They may have learned from someone who they don't agree with. But they have an understanding. And I believe that that there are times, especially in times of suffering and frustration and sadness, where people are more open to the message of Christ. They're not open to to people telling them how bad they are. They're open to what? They're open to the cross. They're open to love. They're open to forgiveness. They're open to healing. They're open to joy that you have in Christ. See, this is the difference. 
I can't as a Christian run around and explain to everybody how wrong they are. I have to start with me and I have to say, God, help me. Help me in my walk to know, to love, and to understand you. And may I never forget, may I never forget that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. So we continue on in, 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 a, in, in seeing this and knowing this. We know our, our response, what our response should be. Well, we should be we should rejoice. Well, I'm confused. How, how, can, I, how can I rejoice if, if, if I feel like I haven't gotten a job because I'm a Christian? Or how, how can I, how can, if, 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 if it's broken up my family, how can I rejoice? If it's caused me frustration and sadness, how can I rejoice? Well, I will tell you this, and, and this is the part that really kind of hit me as I was studying this. As I saw this one word, and it said, and it was, and it was the cross. And I want to read it to you. I think I'm going to, uh, for the uh, scripture's sake that are up there, I'm going to skip John uh, 15, 8 through 20. Well, I'll just read it. And this is just continuing to, to, to show what, what the world, how the world feels about us and that as Christians. Here it is. John 15, 18 through 25. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Stop for just a second. This is a hard one for me because I'm friends with a lot of people. A lot of people think I'm a nice and a good guy, but I will tell you this. If you live your life to be friends with everybody, you're never going to stand for anything. This is where the persecution part comes in. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be kind to every single person you come in contact with. Absolutely. I'm not saying that you shouldn't love every single person you come, on, come in contact with. Absolutely. But when you love that person and they hate you back, it already said it was going to be done, so don't be surprised. Understand? I love helping people and I love encouraging people, but there are times in my life where as much as I want to help and as much as I want to encourage and as much as I want to pray, I can do nothing else for them. I can't make them love Christ. I can only be the example of Christ's love to them. And if they hate me because of it, it's not me that they hate, but it is Christ living in Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they, al- they will also persecute you. If they obey my teaching, they will also obey, they will bite, obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. And that's it. Jesus came and exposed the injustice, the sin of the world. And now we know. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not, uh, not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen these miracles, yet they have both hated m- me and my father. But this is to f- fulfill what is written in their law. They have hated me for no reason. I'm going to get to the point now in Hebrews chapter 11, 
starting with verse 36. We're, we're coming to the close on this. I, I feel like I've been up here a while, but I, we're coming to a close. And, and, and I want to I I get an image of, of a cross. Some face, this is Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 30, 36, and I'll end in chapter 12, verse 3. Some faced jeers and flogging, still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and this is why we talk about persecution, and this is why we need to know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer was, and this is why we need to know who Polycarp was, because these people have gone before us. They've given us example. They've showed us the way of how to love in the midst of persecution. They've showed us the, the understanding of how to have joy in the midst of suffering. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses, all of these people who have been mistreated in the name of Christ, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that, surround, that, that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. This is how we can have joy. This is how we can have peace. We fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. For who, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This, my, this, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is the point. The cross. The cross. Look at the cross. What does it tell us in Mark chapter 8? What does it tell us in Mark chapter 8, 31 through 37? I'm going to get to it in a moment. The cross. The cross is what? It's an implement of torture. It's, it's an instrument of suffering and pain. But what are we asked here in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 37? Jesus has just said to Peter, You understand me because you said I'm the Christ. Now listen to what Jesus says to Peter. He then began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter, in all of his infinite wisdom, in his amazing ability to know more than Jesus, Peter took Jesus aside and said, you know what? Jesus, this isn't the way to have a kingdom. This is, you're saying the wrong thing. Dude, you're killing me here. I've seen you heal people. I've seen you help people. I've seen you walk on water. I've seen all these things happen. What are you doing? And Jesus said, oh. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, and here it is in beautiful form, and, you can, and if you just stop for a minute, if you can see 
you can see Polycarp, you can see Bonhoeffer, you can see Stephen, you can see Peter, you can see all of these people in, in, in history that have died, that have given, that have sacrificed their lives for Christ. You can see it and, and, you, can, and you can just picture them taking this cross and they're doing what with it? And it says, if anyone must come at, would come after me, anyone who would follow me, anyone who would, who would be, be worthy of proclaiming my name, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's it. How do we have joy? Because we take up our cross daily and follow him. How do we, how do we live through difficulties and struggles and sufferings? Because we take up our cross and follow him. We take up the thing that He showed us that seems so horrible and treacherous and terrible. And we can rejoice because we know that within that it is freedom. And that freedom was not cheap. That freedom was not free. It was bought. You were bought at a price. So dedicate your lives to Him. Not in fear of persecution, but in understanding that He has called you to take up your cross and follow Him. I'd like to, um, are we doing an offering next? I think so. Okay. I'm going to close with just with this thought, and I want, to, I want to finish that out. In verse 35, it says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever who loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Whoever desires or tries to save his life by human means, by human understanding, will lose it. But whoever loses his life will be able to rejoice and will be glad in it.